Hey everyone, welcome to Terra Tinos. In this episode, we're going to have a really fun debate about the ultimate 80s Christmas movie. You know, kind of instead of like maybe picking some of the obvious choices, like a Christmas story or a you know, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation, which I think would be the very logical. You could easily pick those movies as the ultimate Christmas movie from the 80s. But we wanted to kind of think outside of the box and pick something that weren't first considered or regarded as a the traditional Christmas films. We don't do logic. But like over year over the years, I think these two movies have become more the Christmas staples that we tend to watch all the time. And uh and I think for a lot of family households, these two movies have become annual Christmas viewing. And if you read the title of this episode, you know what movies we're going to be talking about. It's Gremlins versus Die Hard. And Angel is over here. He's going to be making his case for Gremlins. And I'm going to be making the case for Die Hard. So let's do this thing. Let's let's, uh, find out which of these two films get crowned the ultimate 80s Christmas movie. Your move, Cream. Your move, Cream. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Flying saucers, which are really, yeah, you got it, time machines. I think a lot about this kind of stuff. This kind of stuff. This kind of stuff. <laughs> you think this is the real Quaid? It is. It is. It is. It is. It is. Okay, let's start the show. Like really quick, let's let's start with uh, you know with uh, introduction. If this is the first time hearing this podcast, well, my name is Mike Morales, and I am here with Angel. Let's get it on, Delion. <laughs> and we are a couple of old friends who have decided to start this podcast, this movie podcast, which is just about just us revisiting some of the awesome films from the 1980s and 90s, which are the films that we were raised on. And I got, hopefully we kind of bring bring this old school perspective, this firsthand experience Hopefully, we can add some insight to what what what, it, what was it like to watch these films at the time and give our thoughts on why we think these some of these movies have become timeless classics. And I have to say, Gremlins and Die Hard are definitely classics. But the question is, which one of these two is the ultimate 80s Christmas movie? So let's begin. I guess let's begin with Gremlins. This is the 1984 film. Uh, from uh, Joe Dante, who's a who's a horror genre director, who at the time was only known as the guy who directed the classic werewolf movie, The Howling. Uh, the movie's also executive produced by Steven Spielberg. This is, of course, under his label, Amblin, uh, and Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus, who would later become known as the director of Home Alone and a bunch of other movies, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, this is kind of his first film uh, as a writer. He wrote the screenplay, and he writes a kind of really interesting genre take. This is a Christmas movie splashed with horror, monster horror. Angel, tell us uh, why do you think this is like your favorite Christmas movie? Okay, let me start with, I, I am not the Grinch. I do enjoy a good Christmas movie. I'm just not, uh, main, not just mainstream. I don't, I don't particularly, I'm not a big fan of the whole Christmas where they make somebody feel bad, then he feels good. 
per se. Uh, I enjoy most of my background is horror. Mm -hmm. So if you could get a good little mixture going and we always would watch this around Christmas. So it wasn't even like I didn't have a choice to me. It was Christmas, not just because the movie was set in Christmas. We'd always watch it around Christmas. But, um, yeah, I just remember when I watched it as a kid, it scared the living hell out of me. Oh, really? Oh, dude, this was this was the whole turn off the light, run, and jump into the bed because uh -huh. there's something going to grab you from under. Yeah, this was it for me, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I saw it when I was that small. Like, I saw it. This was, what, 84? So I was seven. Mm -hmm. And my, I don't think my, my parents saw it as scary. So they let me watch it. But little creatures... They, you know, they're cute, then they become these little, I guess you would kind of say re reptilian little, yeah, little troublemakers. Yeah. I mean, they didn't kill anybody in the, well, not they like tried, many, shoot, many or, times. yeah, they were, it was like they were so mischievous that people got hurt. Yeah. But yeah, they, they scared the living hell out of me and they are so small. They can get into everything. And I swear they were under my bed and like, <laughs> I would like cover my head and just try to drown out all the noise. Cause I didn't want to hear them underneath my bed laughing and stuff. But yeah, this, this was the ultimate movie for me. I just, I just loved it. Um, even though it scared the hell out of me, I loved it. Um, as growing up, I'd watch it like probably twice a year and I still, I still watch it around Christmas. I just enjoy it that much. Yeah, I think the first half of the movie really kind of plays on the kind of traditional Christmas feeling. It kind of reminds me of a Frank Capra type of movie. The It's a Wonderful Life comes to mind. And then it, got, it really does this kind of tonal shift at the, at the second part of the movie where it becomes this monster movies from the 50s or 60s. You know, it becomes like kind of a... Uh, uh, the, the town is invaded by these creatures. And I think it that's when it really comes alive. I think it really becomes a really fun movie. Uh, but what's, what's your thoughts on, on kind of rewatching the film? Um, I'd say that it, I didn't pick up at anything newer. I just, I noticed the flow more. Basically the whole, uh, like the beginning, the end, the whole circle, the way it came all the way around. But, um, uh, I guess I'd, I'd say I got more of the interacting between the characters. Like in the beginning, when I was watching as a kid, it was just waiting for the creatures. You know what I mean? That was the big thing. Then they'd come out and then I'd watch them kind of try to battle them back. But this time it was kind of the way, like, it was like small town life with the, the backdrop with Christmas. But then they had kind of problems that people have in every facet of like i'd say the country so big city rural they just want to make a living find somebody that they enjoy spending time with um be secure like the you got the dad that's um constantly on the road he's never around uh he's trying to make his dream of being uh, an inventor right <laughs> even though it's kind of costing his family time with him and he has all his little inventions around, like constantly with trying to, they can't even crack an egg. They have to use his <laughs> egg cracking machine and his, they could use a regular juicer. It's got to be his juicer. And the best thing is, it's like he puts his name on everything. So it's not just the whatever. It's the, um, 
God, what's his last name? Um, Peltzer. Uh-huh. It's like the Peltzer buddy or the Peltzer shaving oh, buddy. And yeah, it's yeah, Peltzer, yeah. this Peltzer. So it's not even just, uh, it's not even like, it's it's almost like a not just a lack of creativity. I think it's telling you that he kind of wants to be famous in his own right for making his inventions. And it's like he gives his kid a an animal that he doesn't know if it's what it's like at all. But it's just like, hey. I got you something so that I can mark it off my list. Not that he's a bad parent, but it's just, uh, I think he's more interested in certain parts of his life than, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I went on a tangent. <laughs> no, but no. It just, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting because I do like the idea that he was, he is an inventor in the movie. There's something about being an inventor in the eighties that really holds a great kind of like, like a dream like like there i love the inventions and say in goonies there was the kid inventor it was a kind of a thing in the 80s like that everyone was like obsessed with the inventor idea and here here's a here's a guy who is like struggling he's he wants to be his own man he's but he's not able to kind of pick that you know the pet rock. He's looking for his pet rock, or he's looking for the Rubik's cube, or something to they can sell to the masses. And now he, he sees this uh, Mogwai uh, animal, and he, I think he even says to his his son, like, "Hey, maybe this could we could sell these character, uh, sell this uh, creature. Maybe this they could be yeah, like the, the pet of the future." Yeah. yeah. So he's always thinking in that way, and I, I I don't know. There's something about that I, I kind of always loved about uh, this idea of like. Uh, the, the striving for making a, a, a successful business. Uh, but I think you're right, though. It's kind of like in the 80s, early 90s, there was always the feeling that um, we're on the up here. You know what I mean? There's there's yeah. more to find and create than we've already done. It's like just get an idea, bring it, you know, work hard, and your dreams can come true. Yeah, it's it, kind of we're always... Uh, we were always kind of waiting for that jet jet pack. You know, that was kind of a constant joke. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were always kind of waiting for that someone to invent something to really better our lives. And yeah, I think that was just very much a, in the zeitgeist of the eighties and nineties. And, uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's a kind of a forgotten type of thing. Now inventors are kind of are looked down upon now because they, you know, they have become more greedy than ever. When you, Dude, I remember the poor man plan. I didn't even have an idea, but I remember the poor man patent uh-huh. where you would mail, you'd mail your <laughs> idea to yourself. Remember? And then you get the postmark <laughs> Yeah, and you'd freeze it, but you can never open it because that seal was kind of like to prove that you beat somebody to that idea or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's always the idea of like, you need to protect your own creation and, you know, be creative and all, you know, come with your own ideas and stuff like that. Uh, it, yeah. So I think this movie really kind of plays with that old school kind of uh, nostalgia, but that second half really is spectacular when it goes to this. I mean, it's, if you think about it, it's a dark horror movie. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. They even have antagonists in the beginning, like a, I don't know her actual name, so I'm going to date myself. The the lady that played Flo oh, right. on Mel's Diner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Where yeah. she's the real mean lady in the bank. You're but right. I like the fact that it was a small town bank, right? So it's not a huge bank, but it's a bank. Everybody's standing in line. You know what I mean? I, I know it's the time, though, too. It's in the 80s, so they didn't have ATMs and stuff. Yeah. But it just reminded you of a time when things were slower and you did things in person. And everyone knew each other in that neighborhood or in the, yeah, in the so town. Like, yeah, so, yeah. like, yeah. Even when the, the cop starts to... Um, give the guy selling the trees um, 
a hard time about donating one for the boys. <laughs> and then the guy turns around. He's like, he's like, I paid for mine, Frank. And you know what I mean? So it's like, he's a cop and he's kind of like, yeah, you know, eh, you shouldn't get a free, you know, I know you, you're not getting a free, a free, uh, Christmas tree out of this one. Let's talk about director Joe Dante because you have been a fan of his. You love the his werewolf movie, The Howling. He kind of is this, you know, in the 80s is his best years as a director. He you know, he went on to do uh, a ton of classic films, but I mean, I think he will be always remembered as the guy who directed Gremlins. Uh what 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 you, what's your thoughts on how this movie is directed and how this kind of blends some of these genres together? You know, I, I like that what he does is he he understands uh, not just about the way things are shot, but some things in movies, it's almost like what you don't show, mm-hmm. what you hear off to the side. Like there's a part where um, the gremlin escapes into the air duct. Okay, so most movies like, oh, you see the scratch marks, but you also hear the scratching of him trying to crawl through an air duct made out of metal. And you hear his claws, like scraping, like, and it's getting like, you can hear the distance in the claw marks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then in the howling, I don't know if it was a budget thing. It was, it was kind of like that too. It was kind of like, uh, the guys, like when they were transforming, instead of showing the transformation, which maybe was subpar or he thought wasn't going to be as scary, he would show the person's face and you would hear the transformation going on. And then the, it was up to the actor, or in this case, it was either D. Wallace or the guy playing uh, the the husband. Mm-hmm. You'd have to see the the their facial expressions change, and coinciding with the bone cracking sounds. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was. I, I enjoy the fact that he can. He doesn't just have to shove it all in your face and say, "Hey, look at this! Look at this! Look at this!" You know what I mean? He kind of he hits all the senses. Yeah, he he yeah. he kind of understands the visuals and also the audio aspect of cinema, and how they both you know they work together you know and uh, yeah I I think what I I what I got from rewatching it recently is just how great the the animatronics in this film is I mean they're actually superb I I they hold up pretty well in this movie and you know it's too it's because for the most part you can't I mean they're not real. Mm-hmm. So when they do the whole scene at the bar is the only time you see their feet moving. Yeah, yeah. And so what they do is they cut the top. So you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're smart. They can't show top and bottom. So all of a sudden they're running around and they cut to just like a floor shot of all the legs dancing and moving and stuff to make it more. Uh, I just uh, CGI wasn't around for it, but I'm glad it wasn't because that would have just been horrible. I like that he had to work for it. Yeah, I think this actually makes a good argument about how you don't need CGI to make some of this stuff work. I mean, I think that's how good the animatronics is. I should uh, point out the special effects artist in this movie is a guy named Chris Wayless, who kind of, uh, this was his kind of big break, although he worked on Raiders of the Last Lost Ark, and he won an Oscar after this movie for The Fly. And he's actually, I, you know, I, I, the only reason I know his name is because I looked him up after rewatching the movie because I was so impressed by the work of this, uh, of the, the film, the special effects, Gizmo and Stripe and, and how they, they look and how they move. It was so really well done. And I think, you know, it, 
it's, it was I, I was really amazed at how much they were able to pull it off. I mean, there was one scene where Stripe is, is, is uh, riding a bicycle. And I go, that has to be on the <laughs> set, and I, you know, and now we kind of take those things for granted because we go, oh, that must have been done in the computer. But all this stuff has to have been done phys- physically, and it's it's done superbly in this movie. Okay, I'm gonna burst your bubble. What they did was they made a ten scale tricycle. <laughs> it's huge. They were there. It was a real, real human body in it. Yeah, human body in it. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I like the. You know, I think I I saw a couple of behind the scenes footage of this movie, and they did use some. They did uh, use some really big puppets for the, some of the close up scenes for Gizmo's uh, 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 close ups. You know, because they couldn't get. Yeah, because when you look at the eyes, they blinked. They moved around. The lips moved. You know what I mean? It wasn't just a, a wooden puppet. They had to get pretty in detail on those things. I also like his voice. Let's talk about Gizmo's voice, which was, which was done by a famous comedian. You know, who the wait, com- wait, real quick on uh, when you were talking about, and uh, you know what? Maybe that's what uh, I appreciated the last time I watched it when you were talking about the uh, the characters or all the gremlins moving around uh-huh. was how hard it would be to set those shots up. Oh yeah, man. Like, like a fake tree. And then, cause you know, they had it in the tree. So there had to be a guy with the hand up a puppet. Yeah. So to blend him in or when he's, they're all sitting on the floor playing the video games, the, the new gremlins, Yeah, and, and, you know, so you had a fake floor and you had a mm-hmm. bunch of guys like chest to chest with their hands in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all the, all the rigging for that thing had to be insane. Well, like like the scene you were mentioning earlier, the that bar scene, which is ton of <laughs> filled with gremlins, and I go, man, this is, must have been a nightmare to shoot because all these you know you know these puppets kind of break down every every once in a while, and they they would stop production for hours, and this must have been hell. And it, it's a really and it's probably one of the best scenes in the movie because you get to see every individual gremlin in their different type of characters. Uh, they, oh yeah, and you know there's a there's a kind of a a, a woman gremlin. There's like a a, guy, a gremlin with a ski mask. There's you know there's the the, the flasher. <laughs> there's a flasher. I mean, and it's all kind of funny. It feels like kind of a a Looney Tunes uh, skit, you know, like something from straight out of Bugs Bunny or something, which I think uh, Joe Dante was a huge fan of. And that's why it's like it was done by Warner Brothers. And so it feels like it's in that family of Looney Tunes and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, it's an extremely funny movie uh, in that sense. And you get, and I always remember seeing um, Jim Henson photographs of like in between the shoots. They always used to have these photographs where they would show you basically what it was like on set during um, either his movies or just um, Sesame Street. And you'd have these characters like on like, you know, a little street or whatever talking to each other. But then you would see the boards and you would see how the people are basically laying on top of each other to try to get in to get their arms up to articulate. And I was like, holy crap, either you you can't not love it. They they don't pay people enough to breathe each other's breath and be halfway on top of each other for hours at a time. You know, I mean, there's no pay scale for that. You love it, and that's why you do it. It's 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 a uh, it's a yeah, it's a passion for these guys, and I think yeah, the way they do these scenes with these puppeteers, they have to use monitors to see what they're doing. I mean, they can't really see what they're doing. Yeah, you can't see nothing. Yeah, you're 100 right. You're in the dark all the way. And it's it's fantastic yeah. that they were able to like pull this off. I mean, it's really is a it's a 
uh, um, an amazing piece of kind of puppetry that this movie really I, I think that's really surprising and but let's get into like gizmo's voice because you know uh, gizmo's voice is done by a famous comedian uh this is probably a lot of people might know this and maybe they not know this but this is this was howie mandel the, the the comedian he does the gizmo's voice and i think he brings a, like a really sweetness to the to the character with his his interpretation of, of this alien creature or you know strange i, I did not know he did the voice <laughs> Yeah, he apparently he was recommended by the guy who did Stripe, uh, a guy named Frank Walker, who's kind of a veteran voice uh, artist. And he, I guess he, he Howard Mandel wasn't known as a kind of voice guy. He was only known as the comedian, but he did voices in his uh, stand-up routine. Yeah, his skits, yeah. And now so, it totally sounds like him. <laughs> so he did that for Gizmo, and then eventually he, you know, he went on to do... Bobby's World, what's it like? Another cartoon, yeah. And so it's all, and he, you know, he mentions Howard Mandel mentions that it's almost the same voice. It's Gizmo, Bobby's World. It's the same. He has like one one little voice to, that he does, but it's really cool. I mean, it's like it, he brings this kind of cuteness to the to the to, to this to Gizmo. I mean, it, and it becomes Gizmo has become so iconic now, and and I I kind of remember him, uh, the like the toy. Uh, that came out afterwards, which like everyone had to get uh, after this movie was released. Did the toy talk? I don't. Because I remember the toy. I remember him moving his head and blinking. Oh, really? But almost like one. Of, yeah, but almost like one of those um, those dogs where you put the battery and they bark and they just take a couple steps. The old school toy. But so I remember him sitting and turning and blinking, but I don't remember him talking. I remember a different toy. I remember the plush toy that everyone had to get. Oh, yeah. Which, no, I'm thinking about the one that was like hard chest because you had to put batteries in it. Oh, I didn't see that one. I mean, that's kind of like the Teddy Rux, uh, Ruxpin <laughs> type of toy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, there was like, I, I mean, it was a big deal to get, you know, Gizmo the toy uh, or the plush doll or whatever. Also, I guess, you know, the, the Gremlins were also a great character design too. Uh, but I don't know if they were available for toys, but. Yeah, it was pretty popular back then. You know what I was just thinking too, and I had to look up where you were talking when you said Frank Welker. It triggered in my head uh, as Optimus Prime, right? I think so. Or he did he, a, he did a whole bunch of uh, cartoons, and that he also did the Predator sound, like he's credited with inventing the Predator sound, like the whole like the the gurgle and the pops. I want to say that I saw like a little YouTube clip of him. And they were asking him how he figured it out or something. But I, think, I definitely know he was Transformers. I think he was a Transformer. But I think there was. A, I think it was the other guy for Optimus Prime. Um, yeah, I know. It was, wasn't that Peter Cullen? Peter Cullen, who did the Optimus Prime. Is that what he is? He's sound or sh not Shockwave? Uh, damn, I'm trying to see. It's not giving his. Oh, he's Megatron. Megatron. Yeah. Oh yeah, Megatron. Yeah, Megatron, Galvatron. Oh, yeah. Oh, we gotta do an episode on the cartoon Transformers. <laughs> I'm just saying that, dude. That movie changed my mind, or changed my life. 
so w- w- let's talk a little bit about the cast. I mean, we got Zach, we've got Zach Galligan, yeah. who's uh, the main character, and uh, who is kind of a little bit un, you know, he's he's okay in the movie. He's not great, but I think the real yeah. the real breakout of the movie is uh, Phoebe Cates, right? The heart, the eighties heartthrob. <laughs> it's funny because she's only really did three, four movies in the eighties, but yet she became like kind of the the and icon- one of them was uh, Gremlins too. <laughs> yeah, but she is. She became like kind of the next door. Uh, yeah, but that was that was not for that was for. Um, yeah, fast uh, fast times. Fast times. Yeah, and there was also a movie uh, called uh, Private Lessons. I think it was, which was a kind of like a knockoff of Animal House and, um, uh, you know, Porky's or something like that. The, you know, the very few films that she did in the eighties and nineties. She really kind of had this impression with this generation. Yeah, she did for sure. She was kind of like um, girl next door, but super hot. <laughs> like you know, like everybody's eighties dream girl kind of thing. She's kind of like was the this generations, this Gen X generations of Marianne from Gilligan's Island. Mm. Yeah, wholesome, but yeah, I see it. She's cute. <laughs> What what's uh, so what you, what's your thoughts on on the cast? I think the cast is pretty solid in this film. The the cast is great. The the drunk guy that's always screaming about the gremlins. Yeah, Dick Miller, right? Like, Dick Miller, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Fuller, Futterman, Mr. Yeah, Futterman. Futterman. Uh, yeah. He's good. They they sneak in Corey Haim or sorry, Corey Feldman. Yeah, Corey Feldman. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, he's great. Uh, uh, Dick and also Dick Miller is kind of like a, a a regular of Joe Dante's. I think he's been in most of his his work, uh, his films. Um, uh-huh. But I really like you know when when I was watching the movie, I really liked the 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 mother, uh, Frances Lee McCain, who uh, I guess she was in. Uh, uh, I'm not sure where she's from, but she she was awesome in this movie. And there was a one. <laughs> There's, you know, that scene where she has to take on all the gremlins. And oh, the, in the, the kitchen. kitchen, yeah, she's fighting them all. And she's a badass in that scene, and she, she, and, you know, she, she actually takes out more gremlins than anybody else. When you she, think about it, and it's a, it's horrible. I mean, she is yeah. like, there, she, she, it's gruesome that scene. She throws, she, she throws one in the blender. She throws one in the microwave. The microwave. She stabs yeah. one in the in the in the in the heart. If you count, I think she's got the most kills. Yeah, it has whole, to be. It has to be. She's like yeah. killing machine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because he takes him over to the neighbors and says, "Can you keep an eye on my mom?" <laughs> yeah, she I might kill my mom. Right? <laughs> she might kill more. That's what. <laughs> no, I would keep her with me, man. And like every time I saw one, I tell I told my mom to go kill it. <laughs> All right. So, like, uh, so what? What's your feelings about you know Gremlins as a uh, as a Christmas movie? Because oh, I think- overall, I think I love Gremlins mm-hmm. because. It's you can almost watch it anytime. That's true. It doesn't have to be during Christmas. It doesn't have to be when you're in the mood for a scary movie or a funny movie. It kind of hits so many things. As well as movies when you're uh, like, not now, but back in the day when we were younger, you turn on the TV and you were stuck with whatever what was on. You didn't choose. I mean, you could put it in a videotape or a, a DVD, but it was kind of like what's playing. Now you just stream everything and you choose. But if you turn the TV on and that was on, you were kind of done. You could just sit there and watch it. It's, it was always a good watch. 
I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think uh, it's a really fun Christmas movie, but I think most, I think my, my only argument would be that I think when people think about this movie, they really only think about it as the horror aspects to it or the monster aspects to the movie. But it is kind of, it's undeniable that it's, you know, it is kind of set during Christmas and Christmas does play a, a, an important part in the movie. Especially when Phoebe Cates starts going into her monologue about how everybody loves Christmas. You say, you say you don't like Thanksgiving and nobody cares, but you don't like Christmas? And all of a sudden something's wrong with you. And then she tells him about that story about her father, right? Oh, there's something that smelled from the... That was a horrible story. You know what I mean? If you were a kid, that part could scar you. But I don't. I think they played on most kids kind of zoning out for that whole speech. But yeah. yeah it's, a, it's, it's a funny moment because it becomes this kind of B-schlock chorus, you know, speech where... It, but, it, 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 well, in the fun way, though. I mean, it becomes... Yeah, and then it even turns into the running gag because... <laughs> They, remember, they were just about to be overran, and she stops, and she starts to continue the story, and he's like, come on, we got to go. Like, <laughs> she's going to stop and tell the story again. <laughs> so it's like a running gag, but... Yeah, uh, it's funny. That's a good. Yeah, I think that's maybe the... That could be a possible reason why this maybe takes... takes Die Hard, but I I got it. Let's 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 move into Die Hard now because I think I got the ultimate. I think this movie is the ultimate eighties. Yeah, just because I chose Gremlins, it's not like I see. I hate like my brother. It's like, what do you like? Do you like um, uh, what is it? Um, his biggest thing in the whole world is Gladiator or um, the one with Mel Gibson. Oh, Braveheart. Uh, Braveheart. You can't to him. You can't like both. Oh, and I like. Like, it's like you're one fan or the other. It's like the Beatles or Elvis. You know what I mean? So it's like, nah. I, it's so it's like on this one, it's, I do, it's not that I don't like Die Hard. I love Die Hard. It's just for my ultimate Christmas movie, I would have chose Gremlins over Die Hard. Well, my, yes. And I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I, I agree in the same way that I, I don't, it's, it's not that I, I prefer Die Hard over Gremlins. I think for my taste, I'm more of an action guy. I kind of, grew up loving action and die hard was just that movie that you know became that kind of staple in my household that we would watch all the time you know like been people have been talking about how you know this has been this, this discussion online about if die hard is a christmas movie or not and you know what it is it's really i mean i think 100 100 i think it has the qualities of a good of a good christmas movie and really that's it's just that it's a movie that it's so fun that the whole family can enjoy, and and like like I said, if your if, if your family is like mine's, then you grew up loving action movies, and you know my father was a big huge um, action movie guy, and I think action the action genre was the thing that kind of that my siblings and myself kind of all share, and we had this kind of we had this thing in common with with action movies that we kind of just gravitated towards and we wanted to like always put action movies on and die hard because it was also set in christmas became that thing and also because it it would it was one of those movies that would constantly play throughout the year on cable and if it seemed like it really had this second life on cable and also vhs and i i think that's maybe the reason why you see this movie emerging as a kind of a Christmas movie because I uh, I think so many families are watching it as their preferred Christmas movie, you know. And also, it's immensely entertaining. I I I didn't realize how funny it is after you know watching it recently. It 
it's a really funny movie. Yeah, it's very well written. There's a lot of little, like you said, there's a little innuendos in it, little little side jokes. But I know what you're saying about the action. It's kind of like some people, you got to be in the mood for a comedy or the mood for a drama. But if you just throw on like a good little chase em fighting flick, little action, nobody really has a problem with that. Everybody could kind of agree. It's one of those. Like, it's it's a good enough movie on most aspects where everybody would agree. Like, if you have five people trying to vote for a movie, while they're voting and fighting, you could just put it on. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon everybody stops and they're starting to watch the movie. Yeah, they didn't realize their vo- their votes were already made. Yeah, and I think because it's, I think it really kind of is making a satirical comment on some of the outrageousness that you get from those action movies from the 80s. I mean, I think it it, it borders on satire a little bit. And, and uh, I think it really takes like these slight jabs at guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, maybe even Chuck Norris, maybe. You know, there's their idea of action star is almost like this cartoonish character and or like a superhero character. And Schwarzenegger is, you know, in most of his early films, he is playing a killing machine. And particularly in, in Terminator, he is, you know, he appears to be impervious to bullets and, and, and knife fights and stuff like that. And the same goes to Stallone. He is particularly in the in the movie Cobra. Where he's playing a, a cop like no other, you know, he's playing like Dirty Harry to the twenty fifth power, you know. There's a famous kind of line in line in that movie where he goes, "You're the disease and I'm the cure," and I think John McClane or the way Bruce Willis plays him is very much a different cop. You know, he's playing a the vulnerable action star who bleeds and who is you know who bruises easily and has broken bones, you know, and he you know he's. He has no shoes, so like he's walking through glass. You know he's going to bleed a lot. You know, and I what I really love about this type of action hero is that he's a guy who is pretty normal. He's a guy who's in a broken relationship with his wife. He's on the verge of divorce. He's kind of the sad sack character, and then he finds himself like stuck in this kind of uh, terrorist or hostage situation where Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber is. Like this really great villain, one of the iconic film villains of 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 the eighties and nineties, and he's not he's not only match, matching wits with him, but he's also trying to up up you know one up each other, and uh, it's and it's a fun movie that way, the way they kind of uh, work the the action around his his um, you know the way he kind of tries to save the day. I I think the movie. I think Die Hard wants it both ways, you know. It wants to be kind of this cartoonish and over-the-top action, but it, it also is grounded in in reality when it comes to the characters and their motives. And somehow the film succeeds in that sense. I think it's able to toe that line, and it's it's able to find that right balance between thrilling action action scenes and some of these great moments where he's talking to Al or he's talking about how he you know he's never gonna see his wife again or you know if i don't make it <laughs> tell my wife i loved her you know but yeah i mean i i, I love the movie it's something that i constantly w- would watch it's directed by john McTiernan, who is this one of this great kind of action filmmakers of the 80s and 90s in uh, up to this point he only directed predator and then he came up with this movie and i think he kind of creates a I think he creates a kind of serious action movie, but for kind of the 
the action movies that uh, fans of Arnold Schwarzenegger will love or, you know, Stallone will love. And it's a it's a fun thrill ride, this whole movie. Okay, first, let's start with one thing. Let it be known from now on that uh, Cobra is off limits from now on. <laughs> That's one of the greatest movies ever made. It, no, I, I think it is. It, I know I, what you're saying, though. It's, but it's like it's meant to be kind of that uh, cult. Yeah, almost a spoof. Right, right. Yeah, like yeah, like a hundred shots at oh, yeah, like dude, we could do a whole episode on Cobra where, like, I'm gonna blow this whole place up. Go ahead, I don't shop here. You know what I mean? It's one liner after one liner yeah. after one liner. But I, you know, it's funny because you mentioned how it was Predator and then Die Hard, so it's kind of crazy that you went, like, you made the greatest movie ever, maybe in my opinion, Predator. Mm-hmm. Then you go down to Die Hard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, John McTiernan is kind of a it un over, or he's an overlooked director. He has this kind of controversial kind of career at the end of you know like in two thousands. He he had he had to go to jail for wiretapping or something. He hired a shady um, uh, private eye to wiretap his uh, producer. And he has this kind of really quick scandal where he had to spend some time in jail. But his movies are awesome, you know. Uh, oh yeah. And I think with Predator, he kind of, like Die Hard, he kind of brings a sense of, of realness to the sci-fi stuff. You know, like Predator is, on paper, supposed to be kind of this wacky kind of alien flick where Schwarzenegger is fighting this ultimate, you know, space invader hunter. And it works because he, he, he there's a, there's a reality to it. There's like, he, he creates this world where it, it, it makes sense. And make and it's fun, and I think the same way with Die Hard. He he based the this action filled roller coaster ride around this really solid solid character, John McClane, who is t- someone who's just like having a bad day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it starts off with him almost like like doing like the worst part of a chore. You know what I mean? Like like this wasn't his first choice to go for the holidays and yeah it's like he's just gonna try to go in and make the best out of a situation but what 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 i love about the the film though is like it's like he gets there he's he gets the uh the limo picks him up and it's kind of like it's not only is it something he wouldn't choose to be at it's also a, a setting he's not comfortable with He's not a limo, fancy oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. party kind of guy. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, this is just like a meat and potatoes kind of dude. Right, right. And he's a corporate. Yeah, his wife is actually more successful successful than he is, and he's like he's having a hard time to deal with that. And they're they're on the verge of a breakup. And are they going to save their marriage? And then you know this kind of a hostage situation comes, and then he gets a chance to really prove his love to his wife at the end. I mean, that's what makes the whole kind of movie a really heartwarming film that, you know, they get together at the end. They, they kind of, we get, we get the idea that their, their, their marriage is saved, but I, and I, I, know, I was going to say, and I, and I like the way they do it. Cause if you just put him in a room with like 30 terrorists, it's almost too unbelievable. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you, you put him in a room by himself 30 terrorists are there. They don't know he's there. They're spread out throughout the building. He kind of has the upper hand. He can go through and methodically try to work his way, you know, to where he needs to be to, 
you know, get the upper hand. I like that aspect. So I like that, like, it takes, a, what, three or four guys to go down before they even know there's a guy taking people out. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I like that setup. I like that it's, I mean, it's as realistic as you can get with one guy against like 30 terrorists in a building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the action scenes where he, it's, it's like brutal action scenes. Like he's, he's hitting people and he's punching people and then he's getting knocked off. He's getting knocked out and he's getting bruised and he's getting bloodied. I mean, the movie starts with him with a white shirt, a white, uh, 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 yeah, white beater. Yeah. A white, yeah. White, yeah. And then it, it ends with a black shirt because it's all that yeah. mud and all that dirt he's been, you know, roaming through, uh, uh, you know, shafts, uh, air conditioned ducks or whatever and he's so uh dirty and that's i think that's makes what makes this character so lovable he's like a well, real dude and like you said with the whole changing like his his garb getting dirtier as the movie goes on it keeps it more more grounded more realistic like like his feet are all cut up from everybody knows the glass mm -hmm. he's got him wrapped one of the first things he does is when he takes the guy out he tries to switch shoes and he's like the only six foot eight guy with this like small girly feet. So it's kind of like it's 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 like in a movie where they're in a building and it's like they're hiding from somebody and it's been like three days. It's kind of like you're like, how do they go into the bathroom? You know what I mean? It's kind of like one of those things where there are questions in your head, but you can't put that. You know, nobody wants to see him in the in the movie, but. It wasn't just like he kept running around. He actually was like, man, you know what? I'm going to try to get some shoes. Mm -hmm. But like in the same aspect, I like what he was. I think there's somebody that he's hanging and he's like, uh, and Bruce is a good actor. He really is. But there's a, I want to say he's either hanging or something and he's like putting all his weight and he's just like, he keeps like, oh, or I think he's got somebody maybe in the headlock or something and he's just beating on him. And it's oh. kind of like one of those, all you got like moments. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it wasn't like a like a Schwarzenegger movie where it's like I'm going to hit him once in the temple and then he's going to fall to a knee and then I'm going to kick him on the inside of his thigh and he's going to you know it wasn't like a choreographed it was like it was like a brutal outside of a bar two guys and yeah it's a you're just going to keep hitting this guy until he stops moving yeah it's a fight to the death it's like definitely yeah. a fight to the death where I'm if I don't if I don't if I stop punching he's going to kill me you know yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, let's talk about Alan Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. I think this is one of the most iconic uh, movie villains that came out of the '80s, and this is kind of the first our first introduction to Alan Rickman. And you know, we now know love him as you know the Harry Potter guy. He's also in many movies after this. He is uh, such a great breakout performance by this guy as this this really smart, ruthless. Uh, thief or terrorist or uh, bad guy yeah like he's the an actual mastermind not yeah. just yeah like a guy that got a bunch of gets together and said hey let's go rob a bank it's like he's got the plan yeah and he breaks the mold i mean he breaks i mean i think villains back then were kind of just dumb they're kind of just there to to be shot at or you know to punch at but no he's a guy who uh kind of yeah they're most mostly like jokes too <laughs> yeah and they were just like big living jokes of a like the bad guy yeah and, and and what alec rickman does here he kind of brings a certain gravitas to the to the to the character and, and his performance is so great that he kind of changes that kind of mold i mean this this you know there's no, there's no surprise that this this movie die hard was by the cinematographer Jan de Bont, and Jan de Bont would later direct uh, uh, Speed, 
And Dennis Hopper in Speed is basically doing an Alan Rickman kind of performance. He is kind of another mastermind who is also ruthless and also very smart. Die Hard kind of spawned this kind of action film where it was Die Hard on the bus. It was Die Hard on a train. It was Die Hard on a boat. You know, it started. Yeah, it's like everybody wanted that winning recipe. Yeah. And it was always about like the, 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 the normal cop or simple hero who's trying to overcome like very intelligent villain. Yeah. And uh, I, I love the, not just the evolution of, of, uh, uh, or Alan's role, but I like the fact that his writing was well for him. Like when he gets caught kind of, and instead of just try to go at it with Bruce Willis, he pretends to be the guy from the party. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. switches his voice to just an American voice. And it's like, you expected him to just like, have a shootout and run or whatever, but it's just like, this guy's smart. You know what I mean? He's why, why show your cards when and it's, it's so brilliant because we're waiting for this moment where they are going to meet for the first time yeah, and like he, head to head. And he does a, like a, a, a 160 where he goes, Oh, Oh my God, it's you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You're one of them. You know? And it's like, where, where, and like, I'm like, where is this going? And then we find out that he's actually playing, you know, he's, he's, he's deceiving him yeah. you know, so brilliantly. It's like a great yeah. part, a, a great point in the movie where, yeah, oh. it's just, it, it makes that character so, <laughs> so much more devious. It's like, shit, dude, it's a, and it's not like an honor thing. Like, Hey, I'm the bad guy. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep moving. I'm, I'm smart enough to keep, you know, to keep one step ahead. Yeah. Uh, this is so good. <laughs> But when I was recently rewatching the movie, the one thing I maybe didn't realize how good he was was uh, Reginald Van Johnson as Al. He is yeah. fucking phenomenal in this movie, yeah. and I I know he was good before, but he's actually doing really great stuff. And I think maybe, he's not in there, but he's helping Bruce Willis out. And he's like, you know, you stay in there, man. Where are you staying there? You know, he's like, he really is like going the ultimate best friend. But yeah. I think sometimes we get. Uh, we confuse him as the guy from Family Matters, right? He's the dad from Family Matters, Matters, where he's also playing a cop. But in this movie, he is like, I was blown away about how good he was and how well he plays that character. Yeah, he's kind of almost like a a living. Um, I almost want to say like um, you know the angel on your shoulder or the the motivation that keeps you going. He's kind of like a human embodiment of that. He's he's a little bit like Jimmy the uh, Jimmy Cricket, yeah. Jimmy Cricket, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's and he's also a guy, you know they, they could have easily made that character very stupid, but he's actually the smartest cop on the on the ground. Yeah, and they do that on purpose too because <laughs> they could have SWAT teams and FBI guys and all these genius guys like these guys went to school to combat terrorism. And it's like, dude, you guys are so busy doing that. You don't even realize like they're going to shoot out the lights. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are so far up. <laughs> your heads are so far up your ass. You're not seeing anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's great. And I love the fact that he, you know, he, he tells a story about how he sh- shot a kid. And it, and, yeah. and it comes and that and it's not just there to like not to, it's not just there to give him some a little bit of dimension. It comes back as he when he shoots the bad guy at the end, and I'm going, oh, what a great kind of uh, redemption story, I guess. But I mean, I, I don't know. I just I love the whole idea that there, nothing in this movie is there to 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 j- just because. I mean, there there's yeah, a reason know, for I every every. Totally forgot about the story and the whole shooting at the end. Yeah. It's kind of like he he helped Bruce 
fight his demons. Yeah. You know what I mean? In his history. And then without knowing it, he went full circle and did it for himself too. Yeah. It's, but it's, this movie, it, oh, sorry, this movie's king of the one-liners, like especially with him, mm-hmm. his intro into the movie with the welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He's going to need him later on in the movie, but that's how he intros himself to. Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, the, the Yippie motherfucker is probably the yeah. most iconic line in, 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 this particular genre and, and and that only comes up because they were really talking about how they think he's a, a cowboy you know i i remember like when uh when hans is talking to john Mc, uh, mclean and he's like uh are you just another american who sold too many movies as his child yeah. you know <laughs> you're an orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's john wayne and rambo you know and uh, he goes, uh, well, I always was partial to R- Roy Rogers myself. So, it, like, he always has these great kind of, yeah, comebacks. He has these really great one-liners where, I guess, it, it, because because Bruce Willis was on on a sitcom that, you know, during that time, and he we know that he was able, to, or they know that he was able to pull off this, this really kind of funny bits. Yeah, comedy was, like, that's his first genre I ever saw him in. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, like he said, he's a good, he's a good actor. It's unfortunate. Like nowadays he's really doing these really shitty movies. These really Dude, bad. I just saw that one where he was like stuck in the snow <laughs> and like a future snow thing. Yeah. And they had uh, like a virus thing. It's like, oh man. And he's like, he doesn't. That's, that's a long way from 12 monkeys. Dude. <laughs> yeah. He, he doesn't. It seems like he doesn't care anymore. I just I think he's got a lot of alimony or something. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, I just wish that he kind of goes back to doing what Die Hard, you know, you know, promised us with that he come out to the coast with mm. a couple of drinks. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Die Hard again, like uh, just to, to wrap it up. I mean, I think it's a, one of the great Christmas movies, only because it it's, has that great feeling at the end. It's you, everyone kind of wins. Uh, the, the hero. Uh, is able to overcome the the villain. You got a great villain. You got great action scenes. It's fun. It's it's funny. I just gotta just just uh, say that again. That it, this movie is very very funny and it's very clever. And I think uh, that's the thing I found when I rewatched it again. How clever and how funny the movie really is. Yeah, and it's funny because whenever you're right, but I I don't ever know. Who gets that credit? Is it the writer? Is it the actors? Because you can write it down and it's hilarious, mm-hmm. but they can the delivery can totally kill it. So to me, it's always like you got to find that special writing, writing, and you got to get the the actual character that's able to pull it off. You know what I mean? I would. It's either one by themselves. You're you're stuck. Well, I would say it's a combination of everybody. I mean, I definitely Bruce Willis is able to. To, to deliver those comic one-liner lines, those awesome lines, but the screenplay has to be there. Really, has to be really solid. I mean, the director also plays a part of this, and I only say that because there were there's some really great characters in the film that are, are immensely funny. Uh, uh, Argyle as a limousine driver, he is he's not just there as a comic relief. He's 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 he is also plays a part in the movie and and and. Ellis, who is the sleazy executive guy who can make deals, he, he's the one who kind of s- tries to rat out John. He's like the the greasy John Ritter looking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he like that character is fucking hilarious. It's it's hilarious how how great that 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 character is. So that has to be the screenplay. 
which was yeah. which was uh, written by Jeb Stewart, but I think they brought in uh, Stephen E. D'Souza who to punch up some of the comedy bits, and I think he d- did a really great job with it. I mean, I think all the characters in this film are just tremendously clever, and I think they they don't. The thing is, I think a lot of action films, particularly in early eighties, they really dumbed it dumbed it down and, and they really took audiences for granted this movie doesn't do that it, 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 this movie kind of uh treats the audience with some respect and we, you know we're not going to dumb down some things because this is an action movie and there's a big explosion at the end where the the tower the top of the tower explodes no this is gonna we're gonna have- we should note that 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 was actually um uh 20th century fox yeah, when they use that where they filmed when they're one of their buildings. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and also the building plays a, a major part of that. It's also almost a character in the in the movie because the way it looks, the way it's like this, you know, granite, cold, gray, you know, marble. It's like, like a it reminds me of the eighties. Yeah, and you know what's funny too, and I didn't even notice it till I was looking at the cover. Was it? It kind of it stands out. It's like its only silhouette building. You know what I mean? So it's even like alone. It's not even like it's not like up around and a bunch of other sky, like sky rises. I guess you say or high rises. Mm-hmm. Like it's just by itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a a silhouette. It has that great silhouette. Yeah. So it's almost like more like I I don't know. I don't think they did it on purpose, but it's kind of like it was him by himself. It's the building by himself. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, yeah. It's kind of an iconic image uh, of of that. You know tower yeah so just to wrap it up i mean i think the you know die hard you know it ultimately is one of my favorite christmas movies and and it's something that i kind of always kind of go to if i if i don't don't know what to watch during christmas die hard is like the perfect choice for me Uh, something i just put on or you know it's probably already playing in many of (laughs) cases you know as we speak right now it's probably playing on cable but you know it's like it's it's just because it's really fun and it's a, just a uh, action classic. And it always it always seems like um, you could put that on and then go do Christmas stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're decorating your tree, you know what I mean. Just yeah. have that stuff on in the background. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I agree. That is mm-hmm. it is a an amazing Christmas movie. Well, it's hard to really pinpoint which one. I mean, which one's gonna win this? But I think. Let's just just give it a tie. <laughs> I think <laughs> because I think you bring out some really great points about Gremlins and how Gremlins is fun and it, it really kind of it is kind of like a, a great kind of uh, family friendly kind of horror movie. And although it might scare the the youngins, yeah, I was gonna say just if you're gonna show your kids in there between five and ten, yeah, just watch them while they're watching mm-hmm. it just to make sure it doesn't go too scary. And Die Hard is definitely for the, you know, more older teenagers. And you drink some eggnog and, you know, have a blast at night. Well, maybe Christmas Eve or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, both movies serve its purpose. I think it's both kind of a fun, fun movies to watch during Christmas. It's just, there's no. Uh, for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to Terror Teenails. We just had a really fun uh, debate. The discussion about these two movies and uh yeah i hope you enjoyed it um you know like i said please uh subscribe to us uh, thank you for listening to us and uh, just uh future uh, we're gonna have future episodes where we're gonna talk about more 80s and 90s movies angel you want to say something yes to our one fan in mexico <laughs> i'd like to say gracias 
We appreciate. <laughs> we're gonna learn. We're gonna do more Spanish movies for you. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> All right, there you go. Yeah. So, so if you're if you just stumbled onto us, uh, please uh, tell your friends and subscribe to us. And uh, we we want to be your favorite mistake. Yeah. There you go. Thank you for listening to Tarantinos. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. All right.